Welcome, welcome, welcome to yet another episode of Tuesday's Timely Torah Talks. Chazak's amazing, amazing Tuesday uh, Timely Torah Talks program. Tonight we have a very special guest, a very dear friend of Chazak, a man that inspires thousands of people all over the world, whether it's through his shirim or his lectures or his writings, Rabbi Dani Sam. Rabbi, welcome to the program. How are you doing? I am doing great, Baruch Hashem. Thank you. That was a very warm and generous introduction. I'm very excited to hear what I have to say. <laughs> okay, Rabbi Dani Stem, uh, a man that Baruch Hashem has, uh, I can see reading and enjoying the rabbi's articles in the Chazak weekly Barsha papers and beyond. And uh, tonight's topic we're going to be discussing, being that Yom Kippur is tomorrow night, the New Year's resolutions. We are in the new year, 5782, Tavshin Pei Base. And, uh, and, but before we do, do delve into tonight's exciting topic, Rabbi, can you please give our listeners a little background about yourself? A little bit about uh, your your uh, position as a rabbi and, and involvement in, in, in great work. Okay, with pleasure. So, currently, I am a rebbe, high school rebbe in Hechal Torah, an amazing yeshiva in Teaneck, New Jersey. And um, I was the principal also in a fantastic yeshiva called Arnaftali in New Windsor. I was there for about six or seven years. And just now, at the beginning of the summer, I stepped down to go back to private practice. Um, I have my degree in social work. Um, I've been a therapist you know, for on and off for years. And now I'm going back to private practice. I was a shul rabbi for about a decade. Um, stepped away from that for the moment. Baruch Hashem on very good terms. I actually am, I go back there. I daven for the Ahmed, Mr. Shem Yom Kippur. I daven there in Shoshana, very close with the Rav and all the congregants, dear friends. But uh, not at the moment, not a, not a community rabbi, but enjoying speaking and being around. And, and one of my biggest things is I'm a big fan of Chazak. Hey, <laughs> okay, rabbi. We're a big fan of Rabbi Stam, and we're really excited to have you on the program tonight. So like was mentioned, tonight's topic is New Year's resolutions. We know that throughout the year, there is a mitzvah of tshuva, of doing uh, repenting and taking upon ourselves to improve. So Rabbi Stam, can you please describe what's so special about the time period we are in right now to improve? What makes this time special? So let me begin like this. My son, our son, our oldest son, just went off to Eretz Yisrael to learn for the year. Nice. Trying to figure out how that happened. He was just born, but you know, <laughs> that's the way it goes. But just before he left, a friend of mine told me about an app called Flight Radar 24. And you can literally watch not just you, every single plane in the air with the, if you have a connection to the internet, you can watch every single plane in the world, see where they're going and, and watch the exact trajectory and the exact flight path. It's amazing. So I'm watching, I plugged in my son's flight and I'm watching his plane. You know, before I went to sleep at night, late, I know towards you know midnight, one o'clock in the morning, I'm watching his plane. And I knew that planes fly in an arc, but I never realized like how, like the extent of it. It really, it flies like almost like, like to Greenland and then starts coming down over, over Europe. It was fascinating to watch. And it was just interesting to see like what the planes really go in, in a very sharp arc. And I was looking into it, which these days means I Googled it. And... Uh, <laughs> You know, one of the reasons is because that really is the most direct way because the earth is not flat. So that even though to us, it looks like an arc, that really is the most direct way. But the other reason was because there's, it follows the jet stream and that pushes the plane along. And I was thinking about that, that in El and Tishrei these days, there's a jet stream that propels us forward, that fuels us towards Tshuva. You know, there's a law that in the Jubilee year in Yovel, every person has to free their slaves. That's a very difficult thing. It's very hard for a person to free their slaves. They, they're used to it. Their slaves help them out so much. But to say for a chinuch, very uh, 
core book about mitzvahs, he says that it's so much easier when everybody's doing it, when that's the zeitgeist, everybody's freeing their slaves. You get swept away in it, so it becomes that much easier. So tshuva, repentance is a very, you know, it's, it's an arduous, difficult task. But when it's the zeitgeist, when that's what's doing, and you know that it's the time that's dedicated to it. And the Gemara says so many statements about it. Dirshu Hashem seek God when he can be found, says the Gemara. These are the days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. There's a very famous parable from Rabbi Shneir Salman, the first Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Balatanyo, who says that Elul, everybody knows the very famous Hamelech Basada, the king is in the field, that God, so to speak, is out of the palace, he's taking inventory, and when the king is in the field, everybody can approach him. When he's in the palace, it's that much harder. But there's that feeling, that's that, 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 and it's an extraordinary concept. You know, we're standing in judgment. We know God judges the world. Rosh Hashanah is the anniversary of the creation, not of the world, but of man. The creation of man. The sixth day of creation was the first day of, of Rosh Hashanah. And so God is, so to speak, taking inventory. He's looking at every single person, every single Jew, non-Jew, every single rock, every single lizard, everything that's going, every corona you know, virus, every single molecule in the world is being judged on Rosh Hashanah. So it's, it's fascinating. This is a time to find God that you can easily find God when he's standing awesome, frightening judgment. And I think that the idea is because we're afraid of God. We're afraid of the din, I should say. We're afraid of the judgment. And so where are we going to run? Where are we gonna, we're, we're afraid. When a person's afraid, they look for comfort. Where are we going to go? I'll illustrate this idea. You know, in the Rosh Hashanah davening, in Kippur davening, it, it's almost like the mood seemed to go back and forth. We have a paragraph. We, we sing together. Melech Elion, the Supreme God. And we sing it. It's usually a marching song. You know, and we're singing about the supremacy of God and the majesty of God. Then all of a sudden we come to Nisana Toket, that awesome prayer which describes how the angels in heaven are trembling. And it, it's frightening. It's very frightening. And we say on Rosh Hashanah, we're written, and on the fast day from Kippur, we're sealed. Who's going to live? Who's going to die? Who's by this? Who by that? And it's just, it's very, very, it's very poignant. And, it, and, it's, and it's scary. And a minute later, again, a marching song, upbeat. The whole shoe gets those carried away. There's no end to your years, God. Your majesty is incredible. Your holiness What's going on? Like, it's like back and forth, like uh, the emotions. And I once heard it explained very beautifully. There's a, I think it's a pasuk, I think it's a verse that says, Mimcha, from you, God, Evrach Elecha, I run to you. Well, what in the world does that mean? From you, I run to you. So I always illustrate it. I always think about it when I was, uh, when my kids were younger. So I used to play monster. <laughs> Monsters that I would, you know, run after them like uh, uh, they're going to be in therapy for many years. Which I thought <laughs> I would run after them, you know, with my hands out, and they would run. Ah! Where are they going to run? So they would run away, turn around, and run and hide and hug my foot. Because who else are they going to run to? They run to their father. And usually, I didn't. My wife wasn't around, so they run to their father. Mimcha from you, God. I, I, I'm in such. I'm in such awe of the judgment, and it's scary. So I'm going to run away. But where am I running? I'm running to you. From you, I run to you. I take refuge in you. So the din, the judgment, the awesome judgment makes us afraid. So where are we going to go? So we try to pull ourselves closer to God. We call out to God. And we know that God always shadows us. So when we draw closer to God, he draws closer to us. And so it's an amazing concept. The days of din, when we're standing in judgment, when everything's on the line, and yet, and it's not, and yet, it's really, it's, they're complementary. God gives us the opportunity to draw so close to him and to feel that connection if we take advantage of these days. So that's a little bit of the, of the time period that, uh, that uh, this gift that we're given, 
just want to throw in one other thing that I once heard from Rabbi Aramchaim Foyer, who was my rabbi in my teenage years. And he said that uh, one time he, he, he got a phone call one day. It was from a cassette tape library. Now, for many people, I know I have to translate Hebrew words, but I probably have to translate what a cassette tape is, but you can Google it. So it, was, it used to be like Torah tapes, you know, cassette tapes library. And he borrowed a few tapes. And the woman said, you never returned the tapes. It was from, you know, last year. Uh, you owe us 300 and something dollars. So he said, Oy. he said, I can't believe I forgot that. I, I put it in my drawer. It's right here. I'm going to return it right away. No, you owe us the, every single day that it's late is 25 cents. And <laughs> he said, look, I'll pay you for the tapes. I feel terrible. I'm not paying you $325 for cassette tapes, you know, that, uh, that were overdue. But Rabbi Foyer said, he said, that's the gift of Yom Kippur. He said, if God would allow our sins to pile up, it would be too much. So every year we have an opportunity, so to speak, to bularasa, to, to, bularasa, to, to clean slate, to start all over again. And during that time period, when we're doing that work, it's not just that God saying, look, I'll give you another chance. Don't mess it up. No, I could just work with saying God is saying to us, you work on it and we'll, we'll, we'll draw close. We'll bring back that relationship. That's the beauty, I think, of... Uh, beautiful, beautiful. Rabbi Stamley, I love the energy. I love the chizak. I love the inspiration. Unbelievable. Amazing, amazing. So, Rabbi, the, 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 the next question, we'll start with the story that there was once a, a person um, who, who was excited to improve his life, you know, right before Yom Kippur, and he wrote a list of commitments of how he'll be better, and he took that list to shul. Right when Yom Kippur was to start, he opened up his Yom Kippur master, his sitter, his 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 uh, his, uh, his book, right, and saw a piece of paper fall out of the master, and it turned out to be last year's list of commitments, and he compared it to this year's list, and it was exactly the same. So uh, I want to thank Robbie Abel for that great question and story, uh, that that inspiring uh, point. I want to thank him for everything he does for Kali Sarah. But Rabbi, what's the most common flaw that people have? when they try to take upon themselves a commitment? How do they make sure that they hold on to that commitment and they go through it and not have it fall through the cracks? First of all, Robbie, stop publishing private stories about me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he got it from you. Okay. <laughs> oh, I don't know if he got it from me, but it's about me. It's about all, I think it's about a lot of us. I think a lot of us feel that way. First of all, I think one of the main problems is that we don't give ourselves credit. I once heard about a yeshiva student who came to his Rebbe and he said, you know, can I learn something extra? I don't feel like I'm growing. And the yeshiva said, yeah, you can learn something extra, but I want to tell you something. You're like the kid who comes complaining to his parents that I'm never growing. And meanwhile, every time his grandparents come for a holiday, they're like, oh my God, you shot up another few inches. Because we don't appreciate, we don't give ourselves credit, which is one of the biggest problems. You know, there, there, are, there are stores that like to brag how long they've been in business. Bagel shop, making bagels since 1923. Sometimes the bagels taste like it. <laughs> but, you know, the eight Sahara, our evil inclination. I mean, he can brag. Been in business now for 5,782 years. He's, he's really good. And uh, his greatest tactic is to make us, it's interesting because, you know, so say our sages that Sometimes the Eitzhahara comes like a party animal. He's like, go on, let's go do this. You know, this, you know, makes the sin look like it's great and it's fun. A lot of times he comes to us with the opposite approach. He comes with a long beard, a long white beard, stroking the beard, looking at us and going, come on, come on. And makes us feel like garbage. And it's such a slick and sly tactic. So we take on a Kabbalah. We take on a resolution. Something that we're going to do to improve. Something manageable. Something that we really could do. And the Eitzahara comes to us and looks at us and goes, 
that voice within us and says, that's a Kabbalah. You know, you got a lot of stuff that you need to fix. That's what you're doing this year. Just that, that's it. Oh, it's true. So we take on something else and he does it again. That really, that, that's all and something else. Before you know it, we take on more than we can handle. And this probably happens to most people. So that by the week after Yom Kippur, it's over. I once heard that the Shalom Shvadron, one of the great speakers, one of the great Magidim uh, of Yerushalayim, he said, the Yitzhahara has, the evil inclination has a lot of patience. And he says, he said it with the Jewish months. I'll say it, uh, you know, with the second month to make it easier. He said, I'll give you August. I'll give you September, the months of Elul and Tishrei around. He says, but comes October, November, comes Cheshwin Kislev, you're mine. It's our bides his time. Yeah, I'll let you feel inspired for Shoshana, Yom Kippur, Sukkot. As soon as it's over, you go back to daily living, pulls out the rug. Yeah, another year, another failed year. And he gets us every year to take on more than we can handle. And that's part of the problem. It's the way I understood from Ira Bam, they said there's a person should take on one, a general resolution, a general Kabbalah, what he called Kabbalah Kalalis, something general that I want to work on, and something, a Kabbalah Pratis, something very, very specific and very, very small. Very small. What's the point? Every time I do that thing throughout the year, something manageable that I could do, it brings a spark of Yom Kippur, brings me back there for, for a moment. So, you know, some people say, the first blessing um, when I bench, the first blessing I'm going to say with concentration. Or maybe just the first words, you know, or, um, you know, I once heard that someone said that a person shouldn't speak evil gossip, no Lashon Hara, at Shalashudis on Shabbos, at the third meal on Shabbos for the last hour of Shabbos. Something that's manageable, something small. Then the Eitzar comes in here and he says, that's, come on, that's, no, I'm not listening. No, this is what I'm accepting upon myself. Then besides that, I want to take on something general. I want to work on, um, I want to work on being a better a better, a better husband. I want to be a better father. I want to be a better, a better daviner. I want, so what am I doing practical towards that? So I have a plan. So I want to speak less Lashon Hara. So I'm going to read the Chavitz Chaim Heritage Foundation. There's so many wonderful books. I'm going to read one minute a day or two minutes a day from one of those books. Something practical towards that goal. So it's, so this is generally what I want to work on. And I'm doing something specific. And if you're really serious about it, psychologists say the same thing, write it down. Because once you record it, you have it written. It, it's like a, a mini commitment. And I always think to myself, one of the most important resolutions to accept upon yourself is that when I mess up, when I fail, when I come up short, it doesn't mean I blew it. It's not all or nothing. Get back on the bandwagon. Start over. Keep going. So it doesn't have to be perfect. Nobody's, I mean, with the exception of the person speaking to you now, nobody's perfect. That's the way it is. So we're not, we're not in this to, to, to get to perfection. We're in this to take another step in the right direction. And not to fall for that tactic, that brilliant tactic of our evil inclination. The great ethicist of the, from the 1800s, late 1800s of Israel Salanter, he once quipped that it's easier to learn through the entire Talmud than to change one character trait. So I always thought to myself, why is he telling us that? The great Rabbi Salanter is trying to discourage us from trying to change a, a, a character trait? Why would he say that? It's a very famous statement. And I was thinking that, no, it's the opposite. Anybody wants to finish the entire Talmud knows that it's a process. Nobody's going to finish the entire Talmud tonight or even next week or even in a month. <laughs> even if you're the greatest scholar in the world, you know, Kanievsky finishes once a year and he's done it tens and tens and tens of times, maybe hundreds of times. 
but uh, the person Dafyomi is seven and a half years. It's a process. You have to have a plan. You have to think about it in advance. How am I going to do it? When it comes to changing a character trait, all of a sudden we're like, okay, that's it. I'm not losing my temper anymore. I'm not going to go off the handle on my kids. I'm not going to say all these nasty things. That's it. And then next week I get upset about something and I say, forget it. Why? If Shoslamter is telling us it's a process to finish all of the Talmud, it's a bigger process to change a character trait. You're not there to finish it all in a day. It's a process. It's a journey. Embrace the journey. We say so beautiful words that we say every single morning in, in, in Shachos. Yismach lev mevakshe Hashem. The heart rejoices that seeks God. You know where the joy is to be found? In the seeking. It's in the, it's in the, it's in the journey. That's where Simcha is to be found. So the main pitfall that we all fall for, and we fall for it every single year, is because Yitzhara says, take on more, take on more, take on more. You got to be a better person. You can't be a better person overnight. That's the main thing. A person just takes upon too much and then you don't catch on to anything. So that's an amazing lesson, Rabbi. Very, very much appreciated. Okay. So, so Rabbi, one might often feel that they want to elevate their lives, but they push it off until a further date when they aren't busy at work, you know, or w- once I get married or once I retire, once I have a child and then once I own my own house and a million and one different excuses people have. So how do we overcome procrastination in our journey towards a life we've always dreamed of? What do you suggest, Rabbi? Well, first of all, I have to share with you, my Rebbe, Rabbi Barrel Wine, often says, good news, the Procrastinators Club are holding their first meeting next week. So make sure you're there. The <laughs> truth is that procrastination, people think procrastination is from laziness. It's not really from laziness. Sometimes it takes a lot of energy to procrastinate. And the truth is, psychologically, that procrastination is usually, it's an anxiety response. You see, we live in a world where we worship being comfortable. We worship convenience. That's what we want. We want things to be, to be easy, not to have to sweat. When something makes us uncomfortable, our automatic reaction, our natural reaction is to push it off. But here's the irony. The irony is that procrastination only increases anxiety. Instead of taking away the anxiety, which is what I want, by procrastinating, by pushing it off, it's still weighing on me. I know it's something that I have to take care of. So it only increases the anxiety. Rabbi Dessler, one of the great thinkers in the last generation, the Mikhtav Me'elio, he says that if a person tries to make, and this goes back a little bit to what we spoke about before, a person tries to make big changes, a person tries to make a total overhaul in their personality and character, it awakens a natural, he calls it a koach marida, a rebellious nature within himself, automatically. And the person becomes extremely resistant. You're making me extremely uncomfortable. I'm going to fight you. This is, this is subconscious. This, this happens automatically within ourselves. So Rabbi Dessler says the only solution is small changes, gradual changes. Again, like we spoke about before, the imagery of growth so beautifully depicted in the dream of Jacob. When Jacob is running away and he has that dream, he sees a ladder. Its feet are planted on the ground and the top is in the heavens. Angels of God are ascending and descending. A ladder is the symbol of growth. Because if you try to take too many steps at once, you can end up on the bottom with a lot of pain. It has to be rung by rung. It has to be step by step. And not to be fooled by that inner voice that says, come on, that's not a Kabbalah. We procrastinate because it's, it's just too overwhelming. It's too scary. But if I'm telling myself, I'm not doing a total overhaul. It's too much for me. 
and, and this is true anything in procrastination, that a person breaks it down to what can I do today? What can I do tomorrow? What do I need to do this week? What am I doing now? I'm not, it's too much. I cannot think about the rest of the year and the rest of my life making this change in my personality. It's too much. I'm going to do tomorrow. You know, Rabbi Yisrael Reisman points out that a lot of people start off Yomi after the last Siyam uh, Shas. whenever we complete the Talmud, people start and then, uh, you know, one track, they, two track, they drop out. And he says, people say, ah, it was a failure. He said, a failure? A failure? You learned the track date. Let's say you did it for a week. You did a week. So it's a week. It's not, it's not all or nothing. And it's not even, it's not even, you know, most or nothing. It, a little bit counts. And every bit in the right direction fuels us on. Success breeds success. And that's the main thing. A person takes on something small. Yes, there are sins that we do that we have to really stop, you know, as much as possible. But as far as what we focus on our growth, we focus on something small that we can take on because when we feel that success, it generates success. Then we, then we feel motivated to go on. But we take on too much and then we fail at the beginning, so we fold up our hands. So the key to procrastination, bite size. Taking small pieces, what can I do today? Amazing. A journey to, 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 to a million feet away starts with the first step. Everything right. is one step at a time. Right. Rabbi, amazing. Unbelievable. Such chizuk, such inspiration. Amazing lessons. Uh, so the next question, Rabbi, is that a major aspect of Yom Kippur, as we all know, is asking for mechila, asking for forgiveness. We know that Yom Kippur is going to forgive for the sins that are between man and God, but uh, there's the aspect of forgiving our fellow man that we have to ask for forgiveness. So, Rabbi, what would you say are top three tips for asking for mechila, asking for forgiveness. So let me give a little bit of background, if you don't mind, before I get to the three tips. Of course. First of all, today it's very easy because all you need to do is send one mass text to everybody you know that says, I hope you forgive me for anything I might have done to you, and then you're good. Uh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I was debating with my students today, my ninth graders, whether it's totally pointless or whether... Because they were saying, like, it could be there's some people that you're totally good with, but maybe you hurt them. So you're just saying generally, okay, maybe, maybe. But what's the point of asking forgiveness? In general, let's take a step back and think about it. How does an apology help? I did something wrong. I hurt someone's feelings. Maybe I hurt someone physically. How does an apology change? It doesn't change anything. The past is the past. And the truth is that when I hurt someone, whether their feelings, anything, what, what hurts the most for all of us is the deflation of our ego. When a person embarrasses me, when a person doesn't think about my feelings, when a person does something and does, the feeling that I get is, well, I'm worthless. I'm just nobody. It shows a lack of respect for who I am as a person. And that hurts. In fact, a person hurts someone, God forbid, let's say punches someone. Let's say two kids are playing, you know, and, and they're not playing. And again, to fight and one punches someone. So the pain of the punch, it hurts physically. But more than that almost is the pain of like, that I got beaten, I got beaten up, that I'm just was able to like throw me around, that, that I'm, you know, it, I feel very low. When someone hurts my feelings, it makes me feel low, it hurts my ego. When someone apologizes, a true apology, which takes a lot of humility, I'm, the person, the, the, the aggressor, I guess we can call him, is humbling and lowering himself in front of the person that he hurt. It's a process of ego restoration. I can't change the past. What I'm saying to you is, no, you are a worthy person. I do realize that I didn't take into account your distinguishedness, your greatness, not in those words, but that's basically what we're saying. You know, it's a feeling of, a feeling of you do matter. 
And it's not just, uh, you know, if God forbid, if someone, someone really hurt me and they text me, I hope you forgive me for everything. Not only is it not like, not, it, it's, it's the opposite. It's insulting. It's insulting because it's like, it's you're, not only are you not building my ego, it's worse. You're insulting me again. You're not even worth it that I'm not even thinking about how much I hurt you. So if anything, the message is you're not worth a full apology. It is very humbling to look someone in the eye and say, I did this to you. I didn't think about how you would take it. I was joking around and I just wasn't thinking about your feelings. I'm sorry. I once saw a sign that says, swallow your pride, no calories. <laughs> and it's, so it's good for the person that got hurt. And it's good for us as well. The humility of it. And that's the problem with the mass text. It doesn't help the other person. And it doesn't help me. I'm not humbling myself. I once... I once substituted a class. It was a young class and I was substituting. It was the beginning of the year. It was the first week of the year. Not a good time to be a substitute. And they were really, and it was the, uh, you know, it was religious school. And they were, I couldn't get a word. I couldn't get a word. Okay. I Thank God I'm teaching a long time. I didn't take it personally. I knew it wasn't personal. It was just that they were restless and, you know, and first week of school. And But as soon as we were done and I said, okay, I said, jokingly with a smile, I said, I think I've taken enough abuse for now. Bell rang, have a great, uh, have a great yantif. It was right before Shoshana, have a Shana Tova, you know. All of a sudden they're like, oh, oh, you mocha us? Forgive us? You forgive us, Rabbi? You forgive us? You forgive us? That made me more annoyed than all of the behavior until then. What do you say? Because the message was like, like, don't, don't be a jerk, Rabbi. Come on, forgive us. You know, that was, that was like, you know, more insulting in the sermon. And again, they meant, they didn't mean in a bad way, whatever, but you know, that's that's the idea. So I think there's three keys to to a, a, a true contrite, for, uh, you know, uh, asking for forgiveness. Number one, be sincere. That a person has to be sincere. Many times a parent or a teacher will tell a young child, apologize. The child looks at them. I've seen this before and say, I'm sorry that you're stupid. <laughs> that's not very sincere. To be sincere, to really mean it. And the second thing is to be specific, not just to say, I'm sorry for everything, but to say, I'm sorry. Because again, if I'm trying to build back the ego and I'm trying to give back what I took away from you, your dignity, another way to say it, you know, then I need to be specific in saying this, I didn't, you know, I didn't take into account. And the third thing is to take responsibility, no excuses. And that's, of course, a very important rule in tshuva in general. And we're very busy pointing fingers. You know, they say when you point the finger at somebody, you're pointing three fingers at yourself. I like <laughs> Take responsibility not to give excuses, not to say, you know, I'm sorry that I did that, but really it's because of, you know, I don't know and if it wasn't for that, especially when we turn it on the person and we say, I'm sorry I did that, but you know that if not for that, you know, that just kills the whole thing. So to, be sincere, to be specific and to take responsibility. I was trying to think I'll take responsibility, it could be with an S, then it could be the three S's, but it didn't quite work. So two S's and one R, R is very close to an S. So. <laughs> Sincere, specific, and responsibility. Okay, beautiful, Rabbi Stam. Amazing, amazing. And uh, we love to end off our program, Rabbi, by asking uh, the Rabbi, the guest, to leave us with one final closing, inspiring message. Uh, you know, especially timely, being that it's Tuesday's timely Torah talks. So, uh, Rabbi, if you could leave us with one final inspiring thought. I want to share with you one of my favorite thoughts about Yom Kippur. We know that throughout the year, when we say the Shema. So the second verse, Baruch Shem Kavod Machusolam blessed is the name, the honor of his kingdom forever, we whisper it. One of the reasons is because it's a, it's a prayer that comes from the angels and we're not on the level of the angels to be able to say it. On Yom Kippur, when we dress in white and keep our feet together from a lot of the day, we're on the, we don't eat, we don't drink, we don't, we're, we're, we're angelic. 
And so when we get to that verse, we scream it out loud. Here's an enigma for you. On the night of Yom Kippur, Holnidre night that's coming, Wednesday evening, Ritz Hashem, this week, Holnidre night. So everybody comes into Holnidre, very serious, but very full. We've just eaten, <laughs> we've just eaten the meal, the final meal, and uh, we're, you know, we made sure to, to pack it as much as we can and to drink a lot and whatever. We're not hungry at night. And yet, when we come to Baruch Shem in Mariv after Kol Nidre in the evening services, when we get to Baruch Shem, we scream it out loud like an angel. The next night, following the concluding prayers of Ne'ilah, those amazing prayers, when we're really, like one of my rabbis described, when we're running on empty, when we're running on soul and nothing but soul, we're weak and we're beaten down from the fast and we scream, Shema Yisrael, God, Hashem Kim, and we, we get everything we got. Like higher than angels. And all of a sudden, they close the ark, they blow the chauffeur. Next year in Jerusalem, we start Mariv, and 30 seconds later, we get to the Shema and we whisper. Wait a minute. Isn't it backwards? On the night of Yom Kippur, when we're full, then we should whisper it. On the next night, when we're running on, on soul, nothing but soul, we should be screaming, Baruch Shem. Why is it the other way around? Great question. Amazing question. So I heard in the name of Rabbi Chaim Leib Arbach, I think was his name, Rabbi Shlomo Zalman Arbach, one of the great Torah giants of the last generation's father. He said such an important idea. He says, because in spirituality, it's not about where you're holding, it's about where your mindset is. And I'll illustrate like this. Rabbi Elyamer Bloch, great Rosh Yeshiva, was once standing in Chicago on a platform on one side, was the pacemaker, which was the name of the train that went from Chicago to New York. On the other side, across the platform was the Sunshine Express, which went from Chicago to San Francisco. And he asked his students who were standing there, he said, tell me how far apart are these two trains? They said, I don't know, 20, 30 feet. He said, no, they're 3000 miles apart. Because even though right now they're pretty close to each other, one is facing New York, one is facing San Francisco. In moments, they're gonna pull out. And they're 3,000, even though at this second, maybe they're close, that's where they're heading. It's not about where you are. It's about where you're heading. On Yom Kippur night, it could be that we're full. But where are our thoughts? Oh, a congregant of mine once said to me, she said, Rabbi, am I crazy? I love Yom Kippur. And I thought to myself, I told her, I said, you know, it's not an easy day. <laughs> no question. Nobody likes fasting. But I know what you mean. There's a certain, I feel, Yom Kippur night, a certain serenity. There's nowhere else in the world to be. There's no meal. There's no work. There's no phone. There's nothing. Zero. Just me, God, Shul, the prayers. That's it. It's a certain serenity that I don't feel. Even on a Shabbos, just there's nothing else going on. It's Yom Kippur night. Our focus, our thoughts are in Yom Kippur. And so we scream, Baruch Hashem. The next night, we might be higher than angels. Higher than angels. But where are our thoughts? Hamlet? <laughs> <laughs> I put pepper on my omelet. What kind of bagel am I going to toast it first with the soup? I have to put up the sukkah. Where am I going to get my rule of an esrog from? Our thoughts are outside of Yom Kippur. And therefore, at that point, we have to whisper Baruch Hashem. I, I, I often think to myself, you know, when we come to construction zones and we have the pleasure of driving for those in the city, for sure. So you see a construction zone. It's like, and all this is the merge. Merging from four lanes, three lanes, two lanes. And the traffic is slowing down, slowing down, slowing down. It's annoying. But we see the workers working. We see men at work. You know, so, okay, it's inconvenient, it's annoying. But you know what? In a few months, 
it'll be easier, it'll be more pleasant driving. And we've all had that experience. You've driven on a place that was just fixed up. It's so much nicer. But the worst thing is when you're driving, find this, I'm allowed to say in New Jersey a lot. There's major construction areas and miles and miles and, and you're driving past all the orange cones and nothing's going on. There's no workers, nothing. Just the control. What was that about? No one wants to be inconvenienced for nothing. Just if there's work going on, so then I understand it. I always think to myself that that's what I'm coming to Akkadish for. I'm coming to God and I'm saying, I'm a construction zone. Yeah, I'm not finished. I got a lot of work to do and I'm a mess and the, <laughs> causing traffic. It's true, but I'm working on it. God, I'm working on it. One little step at a time, but I'm in the ring and I'm, and I'm struggling for it. The problem is if there's nothing going on, if I lay my hands down and I say, you know, I'm done, I can't, it's just a waste. The great Hasidic master, I believe Yitzchak of Bardichev, once said, he talked to himself, he said, he said, Levi Yitzchak, he said, this is going to be the year. And then he stopped and he said, Levi Yitzchak, you said that last year. And then he said, but Levi Yitzchak, this year I mean it. And my Rebbe said, the beauty of the story is, because everyone I say the story to says, yeah, but last year you said you meant it too. It's true. It's true but I'm trying again. I'm not giving up. It's true, I meant it last year and I tried last year and it's not a failure. First of all, it's, <laughs> I have it in my box. Whatever I accomplished last year, it's, it's still on my conscience. Another step forward, another small step forward. The goal of tshuva is not to get to San Francisco or New York. The goal is to pull out of the station. That's the goal. The tracks are there. We have the direction. We accept it upon ourselves. But with God's help, we try and we're sincere and we're specific, just like in an apology, we, that's what we do also. And we take responsibility for the mistakes that we've made. We say to Hashem, look, I'm a long way from where I want to be, but I'm heading in that direction. That's what I want. That's what I really want. Help me to get there, please. God should help all of us. We should be, merit to be able to fulfill our aspirations, to bring out the potential and the beauty from within ourselves, and merit together to a to be sealed in the book of the righteous and the holy, and to have only good news this year. Amazing. Wow. What inspiration, Rabbi Donnie Sound Shlita. Unbelievable. Wow. I, I got the chills. Unbelievable. What a beautiful Chidushim insights on, on the. I think we're ready for you, Kibra. Okay, bring it on. Slowly but surely, once ever, then, Rabbi Sound. Thank you very, very much for joining us tonight. We should have a Gemara Chatimat Tava. We want to remind all of our amazing listeners all over the world that this uh, program is brought to you by Chazak. Every single Tuesday, Tuesday's timely Torah talks, amazing guest speakers, rabbis coming in and inspiring us and talking Torah doesn't get better than that. We want to thank our, our, our dedicated uh, staff uh, headed by Rabbi Eboff and everyone else over here at Chazak for their dedication and all that they do for Claudia's throw. We want to remind everyone that we're looking for more ambassadors to join at Chazak and spread the light and bring the Google up. Make sure to reach out to our headquarters 718-285-9132. That's 718-285-9132. Visit us online, chazakwithaq.org, C-H-A-Z-A-Q.org. And of course, we want to thank dailygiving.org. Everybody should check them out. Great, great, great organization revolutionizing the concept of tzedakah with just $1 a day. And uh, once again, Rabbi Stam, thank you very, very much. <laughs> thank you for the opportunity. Uh, and, uh, thank you very much. And uh, we should all have an amazing, sweet new year. And we should all be sealed and, and have only good news. Thank you, Rabbi uh, Stan, once again. And